call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast. Gary Patchwitz and Daryl Rideau here to break down uh, the Trojans' 31-20 to victory over Colorado. And Daryl, it was a game that, let's face it, once uh, – you know, once the USC offense in the, in the second quarter put up those 21 points uh, by the virtue of three JT Daniels touchdown passes, kind of cruised to a 28-7 to seven, uh, margin heading into the fourth quarter, and there's a couple touchdowns scored, but it felt in control after that. And one of the reasons it felt in control, Daryl, I, I, I thought this was the best overall defensive performance uh, of the season for the Trojans, especially when you consider, I, I you know, I know Colorado, their, their strength of schedule wasn't very hard, but they were 5-0. and They were putting up 39 points a game, and they had a quarterback who was completing 75% of his passes. And right. I really thought they kept that offense in check for the vast majority of the night. And regardless of what you thought about or what anybody thinks about um, who Colorado might have played coming into this game, you you have to give them credit for, you know, dominating the opponents that they played up until that point and really Uh kind of coming into the Coliseum with arguably what they probably felt like their best opportunity to um, defeat the Trojans and, you know, kind of – become somewhat of the front runner for the Pac-12 um, in terms of keeping their playoff berth alive. But Gary, when we talk about going into a bye week and cleaning up some things, the way that the USC defense came out is exactly what you would expect coming off of a bye week, being fundamentally sound, having a game plan that 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 is um, transferable, whether it's playing at home or on the road. In this game, we saw why Clancy is a highly sought-after defensive coordinator. His defense, Gary, is designed to fan out um, an offense, prevent them from clogging the middle of the field and forcing them to go east and west to allow those fast linebackers and and secondary um, players of USC to run downhill and, and really have a field day of attacking the the offensive players for the Colorado. And what we saw was 16 tackle for losses, not by accident, but what I like most, Gary, was it was by committee. So many different guys got involved uh, with um, the impact of this game plan. That's what you have to love. I I, I do love it, and I loved uh, that a couple of the top names uh, getting two apiece when you're you're having guys like Pala Ie Naoteote uh, Talanoa Hufanga, you know, the, the, these are true freshmen who are in your starting lineup who are contributing to that, and obviously Porter Gustin being in there as well. And then we're going to talk about Porter later uh, in, in regards to his uh, ankle injury. But uh, let's start off talking about uh, Pala Ie. We, we came into yeah. the game, we weren't sure about Cameron Smith's availability, if he was going to be able to go. Turns out he didn't uh, with his hamstring issue. And so we've been seeing Pala Ie on the practice field getting closer and closer, making some plays. Mm-hmm. He put Stephen Carr on his back on Tuesday practice uh, with a nice shoulder hit. But you, you, you've been getting closer, but Daryl, he got his opportunity, led the team with nine tackles before he went out with concussion system right. symptoms after a couple just, you know, wicked hits uh, from the linebacker spot on the running back and then on Chenault. Uh, we haven't seen many hits like that, Daryl, but I got a feeling this guy, uh, he's going to be riding quite a few in his career. Give your thoughts on what you saw from Paula EA last night. Well, Paula EA, and just, just for the record, moving forward for short, EA, 
That's what everybody calls him, and that's what I'll be calling him. <laughs> um, but by the end of it all, if he keeps playing like this, Gary, we will all memorize the correct pronunciation of his full name. Exactly. But, exactly. but the way that, that, that he came out, uh, it, it causes a lot of people to wonder, where has this kid been buried in the depth chart? But when you have the likes of a Cam Smith and the type of production that he's playing, it makes it very difficult for, for, for you to take Cam Smith off the field. But I have to believe that you got to find a way to keep him on the field, assuming that the um, concussion-like symptoms are um, that he's able to get past that and, and, and you know and um, and back on the field. But what we saw from his production epitomizes what I've come to expect and learn and and appreciate of USC linebackers. He is by far the future, and what we saw is his presence. He has a high upside. Um, his the physicality that he played with, deliberate. When he shot his gun and it was time for him to go, he went with no hesitation. And when he came and he brought force, he raised a lot of havoc. Um, the the reason why I thought that the game extended as long as it was was because of plays like his, the physicality that he brought. I don't think Colorado was expecting that type of a physical game coming from USC's defense because it wore them down. And much of that was led by some of the vicious um, blows. And, and they were fundamentally sound tackles that we saw from EA in this game. Hitting them low, driving, but when he hit you, you, you felt like you were running into a cinder block. Let's, uh, I, I want to talk about uh, a guy in the secondary who, boy, Jane Harris is just loading up his stats on Colorado. For the second year in a row, uh, you know, a pick six for against against the Buffs, but I thought it was a great, just a, a great uh, keeping the focus on the ball as it's juggling in the air, and then Ajayne gets it. Daryl, that's his sixth interception in his career. That's a nice number. That is a nice number, and uh, and, and if uh, we were talking yesterday, that half of those interceptions have been returned for touchdowns. I mean, that's, you know, it, yeah. but isn't that isn't that a Jane for you? Um, such a talented, yes. uh, a talented player coming out of high school, out of Crenshaw. Um, you just marvel of the fact that he's such an incredible athlete that that he had just come over and seamlessly has, has been a bookmark, a staple of this defense, playing that slot and really perfecting the, the value of it. And for him to show that type of focus and concentration, when that ball was tipping, many times the reason why we are defensive players is because we don't have the greatest hands. So uh, <laughs> you'll oftentimes you'll accumulate deflections um, with less interceptions. But at a time and against a team, um, like you talked about, 75% completion, didn't really turn the ball over. Coming into that game, only four turnovers. and. Yeah. For, for for them to turn that interception into points and get that 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 coliseum rocking, uh, credit to Jane's eyes, focus, and concentration. It, it's not by accident that he continues to find themselves in, in great opportunities. It's when he's playing sound football like that that good things seem to happen for Jane Harris and his defense. Yeah, and let's well, let's talk about and I want to talk about the one play. I want to kind of break down uh, the play that uh, Lavisca Chenault scored on. Uh, I, 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 early in the game, um, yeah. it was zero zero at that point. Neither team had really established anything, and uh, yeah. we we knew Chenault was a guy they liked to line up all over the place. Um, and I want to talk about this play, and I also want to just highlight Marvell Tell. Marvell had just such a great game overall. Um, 
but on, the, on this play, obviously USC got, didn't wasn't lined up right. Take, take us through the play. Take us okay. why it happened and what you saw. It was early in the second quarter, Gary. It was um, 12 minutes, 6 seconds uh, left on the clock in the second quarter. USC still had three timeouts. It was a third and one. And let me set this table. Normally on third down, USC brings in a short yardage defensive package, uh, especially when a team presents itself to line up for a running play. So Colorado came out very quickly lined up as USC was running guys on and off the field. The unit that they had on the field um, wasn't expecting um, Chenault to be at the quarterback position in what we call the wildcat position. So where the line the center is, to the right of the center, we're called at the strong side for the purpose of this play, going uh, as Colorado was heading into the, uh, the peristyle end. On that side, uh, Colorado ran 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends. Chenault, who was the, the true receiver, was at quarterback, and um, the, their quarterback, Montez, flared out to the left weak side where the only two defenders were were Porter Gustin as an outside edge rusher and Biggie, um, Iman Biggie Marshall, who was in man coverage and press coverage against the, the outside uh, receiver. As Montez went towards that outside receiver going towards uh, Iman Biggie Marshall, Biggie was in front of that defender, I mean that, that receiver. Montez was left uncovered. You can see guys kind of pointing. I saw Isaiah Langley trying to figure out who he had, and they were trying to uh, declare. Then on that strong side, we also saw um, Hufanga come down into the box. As a strong safety, he now covers up the the um, the tight end. Behind the tight end was the other tight end, who was off ball. We'll call him the U-back. Okay, so here's what I saw. I saw from the quick snap that that um, Colorado took advantage. The strong side guard came off the ball and he pulled. He hit um, Porter Gustin. Porter came flaring up the field. The moment that Porter and now that the first mistake that was made, Gary, was Porter should have stayed home at the line of scrimmage because that tackle did not threaten him or fan out. So there was no reason for Porter to charge up the field when he recognized that they were in a wildcat position. That tackle, the weak side tackle, the side of, of Port, that Porter Gustin was on, crashed down. And who, who did he take out? He took out uh, Christian Rector, who at the very last minute went from the strong side of the field and rotated over to try to get lined up. So he was naturally out of position as uh, Christian Rector should have been lined up over the tackle. Instead, he found himself over the weak side guard. So when they pulled, the, when, when when the tackle crashed down on Christian Rector, Porter Gustin flared up the field. Now that leaves a large hole. Who came through the hole? The pulling side guard, followed by that um, that U back, that tight end that was off the ball, came around the corner, following the the pulling guard who took out Porter Gustin. Now that U-back comes up the field, catches tail coming downhill, and sealed um, uh, Marvell tail. So that leaves Chenault with nobody but Paydirt. 49 yards later, it's a sprint, and nobody's going to catch him with a, uh, with a running start like that. Now, in my opinion, what should have happened, because uh, Montez is now the wide receiver, you have to treat it like slot receivers. Isaiah Langley needs to flip over to the other side. 
When he flips over to the other side, you now have two corners in man coverage. Isaiah Langley should have played what we call the nipple, in between the slot receiver because it was only Montez and the, the weak side tackle. By doing that, you put an extra defender in the box. So when Chenault comes in, that C-gap, that's a play where the, the weak side corner or the slot, even if it, you know, if it was a nickel coverage, we would be talking about a Jane A. Harris coming in and filling. But because there was so much confusion on where those guys needed to be lined up, that was an ideal time with USC having three timeouts and virtually not being threatened. They should have called a timeout, use a timeout on the defensive side to make sure that they were lined up because that was a momentum play that put Colorado on the board. And Colorado is somewhat of a front runner who wasn't giving up the ball. So at that, that juncture in the game when it was 0-0, you, you really didn't know if, if USC was going to drum up enough pressure to create a turnover. That was an opportunity where you play situational football and you make sure everybody's lined up. No reason to tuck that tight end and keep it. But from what I saw, by virtue of how quickly Colorado got lined up and the fact that the USC players were confused about who, who, where their assignments were, that led to the touchdown. Okay. Uh, and yeah, let's, let's flip it over to offense because that was really the big play on defense that I think uh, was the key until the fourth quarter. But uh, the right. USC offense, um, there was a halftime stat, Daryl, the, the way that the Trojans came out, that, that you just don't see too often. Um, USC had, I believe, 255 total yards, um, 255 yards passing, zero right. yards rushing. Zero uh, yards rushing. Did you say? Did, did I hear you correctly? Did you say a goose egg? Zero yards it, rushing. It was a goose egg, and. Uh, it's it, it, and so let's talk about that and how we got there. We, you know, Clay Hilton always preaches balance, and we're certainly the ones who want to keep an eye on making sure those rushing yards stay with the passing yards because it seems like, you know, the, the play calling from USC can tend to lean toward the pass uh, in, right. in many games. And okay. Colorado was inviting USC to throw the football. They were going to take their chances on the true freshman uh, beating them. Um, now, you can make a case that SC went away from the run a little too easily and went sure. to JT, but that is but that is in the second half, or the second quarter, excuse me, uh, when it was 0-0, and all of a sudden you're saying, okay, you want us to throw it? We'll throw it, and we'll throw it up to these receivers, and next thing you know, three touchdowns, and SC's going into the locker room with, uh, you know, with 21 points thanks to that. Right. Now, if I'm looking at this thing objectively, um, I can understand why in Clay Helton's um, post-game remarks, he talked about Colorado invited the pass. They were committed to putting eight players in, in, in the box in between the tackles and leaving a one-high single safety. And against these very talented uh, receivers, these trio-slash-quartet of receivers from USC, the matchups that you like favor um, Tyler Vaughn and Michael Pittman Jr. However... When you start the game off on a play-action pass on the first play and you chuck up a 50-50 ball and you put the ball into the radius into an area where you're hoping that your, your receiver will come down with it on the first play that results into an interception, I got the sense that USC came into this game plan with an aggressive mentality that they were going to attack the secondary of of the uh, the Buffaloes and try to keep them honest. 
So there, there's two thoughts of conventional wisdom. One is if there's eight guys in the blocks, you play situational football and you take what the defense gives you. If the defense is going to give you those opportunities, you exploit those opportunities. But what happens, Gary, when, when the defense invites you to do it and you chase the cheese? You, you um, concede to the fact that they're going to play one high safety and you fail to develop a rhythm by establishing the running game or even the illusion of establishing the running game. You now become one-dimensional, and you made the Buffalo's defensive game plan highly effective. Now they don't have to worry about a balanced attack and how they're going to match up. Um, they're able to now design their defense to really uh, frustrate and cause some disruptive passing lanes for JT. And that's what we saw in the first half. And that's why I think in the first quarter, and I'm curious about your thoughts on that, why JT was somewhat out of rhythm. When we see when we've seen JT at his best, it's because the running games got going, and from that they've been able to go some play action pass, but more importantly, get him into a rhythm and an imbalance. And when we didn't see that in the first half, in 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 and there were two turnovers before halftime, both of them to start the uh, the first quarter. I mean, the, the, to start the um, uh, the first play of the first quarter. And then to start the second quarter, we saw those two interceptions. My initial thought was, oh, boy, here we go again. We're now out of rhythm, and we're forcing the ball down the field. Fortunate enough for USC, the athleticism of USC's receivers won those 50-50 balls and made these coaches right. But this is not a this is not a formula for long term success when you start going up against the upper echelon of the Pac-12 South and Notre Dame, who's looming down the road. Oh, I, I don't think there's any question about how we feel about that. We've kind of been pounding on that all year, um, and I would say you you didn't have it in the fourth quarter uh, against Colorado when when you needed when you could have used leaning on the run game to finish out that game to not even give right. them. A, a sense of being back in the football game. You 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 put up some yardage, but uh, no, I don't think it was a case where you were able to successfully lean on it the way you really would have wanted to in uh, in, in USC running game fashion. And, and I'm so glad that, you that said that, right. Gary, because I'm I'm glad you said that because in most circumstances, yes, you're going to be happy with winning the deep ball, okay, and and. And, and scoring touchdowns through the air because obviously it ignites the crowd. Everybody feels good on the sideline, but those are low percentage plays relative to establishing the running game, controlling the clock. And when you're nursing a 21-point lead like you talked about, being able to bleed out the clock, there's nothing more demoralizing than to keeping Colorado's offense on the sideline, and there's nothing that they can do about it. And I felt like the veteran leadership of USC's offensive line had the potential of wearing down that defensive line from Colorado, but we didn't mm -hmm. see that. And that's where we, I, I kind of think that they missed the mark, an opportunity to um, be authoritative. USC's offense had a, an opportunity to dictate what they were going to do instead of conceding to the fact that a Colorado defense was committed to taking away the running game, but to run the ball in spite of. I thought that uh, the game plan showed flashes of certain formations. They even went to an I formation. I thought I saw a resemblance of student body right that ended up in a penalty. 
but I know it was there. But they chased the cheese. They got lured into the trap of becoming one-dimensional, and it was invited and enticed. And that's where the maturity of this this offense and this coaching staff has to dial things back. There has to be a barometer on there that says, look, we're getting too far off of our standard deviation. Even though we're having success with the pass, now let's allow the pass to set up an effective running game. We didn't see that type of chemistry, and that's what they're going to need going on the road against the likes of the Utah Utes. Yeah, it's not going to it's not going to be any waiting to find out how it's going to be. Next week is going to be one of those games Utah's playing good football these days, and they are certainly going to run the ball with Zach Moss. We have seen him before. Uh, Daryl, I want to talk about uh, one thing moving forward with this team, and uh, there's a lot of talk about the discipline of the team. I mean, if you think about it, we had 13 penalties in this game. Um, if we hadn't had 18 two weeks ago, this 13 right. number would be a huge talking point. Um, right. And, and so you, you feel like it's somewhat of an improvement after after exactly. that. But, but and we're being tongue-in-cheek about it. But, but coming off of a bye, it's inexcusable because of who these penalties are coming from. These aren't coming from the freshmen that are playing wild and reckless. These are coming from veteran players that you rely upon offensively, on the offensive line, and defensively. These are repeat of felons in, in that regard. And that's the part that is troubling because you wonder, is it a systemic thing that can't be corrected because these guys are, quite frankly, it's conditioned for them to play aggressive without thinking about the nature of the impact of of the penalty? Or is it something that the coaches can address? Where, where do you fall on that? Uh, I, I, I'm going to point to an incident that wasn't even a play on the field. Okay. Um, it was something that happened. You, you saw it at the end of the third quarter. Uh, there's a three-and-a-half-minute break um, before the start of the fourth quarter, a media timeout. And at one point, the USC defense was on the field, and they gathered to pose uh, for a photo that was eventually put out on Twitter. And uh, I got your opinion on it. I've talked yes. to several other former players, and uh, – the reaction has basically been, you've got to be effing kidding me. And that, that would happen during explicitive. Explicitive. Yes. Gary, I played from 99 to 2002. First two years under Paul Hackett. Last two years under the first two seasons of Pete Carroll. And as a, as a former player and a defensive back who not only started – but also lost his starting job and was a rotational player. Never have I ever in my life been more embarrassed than what I saw of the lack of class that was exuded by this USC defense led by and angered by two um, captains that I have a great deal of respect and admiration for. Is the tail wagging the dog? I'm confused now. Because the leadership in that regard should have stepped up and said, this is not the time nor the place for it. But instead, they lined up to take a selfie shot. Some guy off the sideline came in and joined it and almost kind of like helped them frame it, frame the picture. Now, I get it if you're going to do that after the game for sentimental reasons. But during the middle of the game or during the second half of the game, yeah, you have the game well intact. 
But you know what you did? You lit a fire underneath Colorado. And the moment that you do something like that tells me that you're mentally not dialed in to close out this game. And as a result of that, we saw Colorado marching back. But in addition to that, Gary, it led to some unnecessary penalties. Uh, taunting a player on the sideline. A couple of plays later, you lead to another pass interference. Those were momentum plays that allowed for Colorado to rally back and get into this game at a time where guys were already starting to look at their Instagram feeds and, and, and you know and trying to count their likes. I'm confused by what I saw on the sideline, but the lack of leadership coming from the sideline to say, no, that's unacceptable. And so if that is not addressed, I, I, I'm appalled by it. That, need, that needed to be addressed then and there, and if it's not addressed then and there, it should definitely be addressed to start this week. Because if we're going to see that type of performance, no wonder why you lose two games. No wonder why at times you fail to put a team away. Because that's the sign of an undisciplined team. When you're dialed out and you disrespect the game, it oftentimes comes back to bite you in weird ways. Well, let's, let's talk about one of those ways potentially, and that is, you know, Colorado did score two touchdowns. There was an onside kick that they got. And so it was more of a game at the end. It was enough of a game at the end that you had Porter Gustin on the field for the final place. And he went down with a, with re-injuring the ankle. Um, we, I was up in the tunnel, Daryl, when, when he came up on the cart and he hopped off that cart to go into the locker room and he was hopping on one foot, on his left foot, because he could not yeah. put any weight at all. Um, there's speculation, hey, is he, you know, will, will he be back? Is he, is, is this something that, uh, will cost him the rest of the season? We don't know yet. Uh, Clay Helton will have his media call tonight, and it's quite possible we will get an update. But uh, you talk about an unintended consequence that you don't know. It's, yep. You know, the third quarter, you know, what, what, what could this harm be in taking this photo? Well, there may be a pretty big unintended consequence on that one. And it's drip, 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 drip. It's little things like that that allude to the erosion uh, of your quality players like that. Because, for example, if, if USC – takes care of business, gets Colorado off the field, okay, maybe you're able to rest up Port Augustine. And then offensively, right. if you're not chasing the cheese and kind of getting enamored by the success of your passing game, and you go back to now because you have a 21-point lead, you commit to running the ball effectively, getting back to that power running game to seal the deal, okay? A lot of these little things are, is what separates the upper echelon. And when we're scratching our heads and wondering why isn't SC winning these these um, these bowl games against higher caliber opponents such as Ohio State, a better Notre Dame team, or you know being very competitive in the fourth quarter with Alabama, it's because you're allowing these things to occur and you're not addressing them so that they don't become a systemic issue. Now, um, credit Port Augustine for giving all that he has. Okay, oh. but you're going to need him for the duration of the season, and so when there's a time to put away a team, you gotta seal the deal. You have to do it because you can't afford to put your players in compromising situations. And let's hope that that's not the case with Porter. Well, the the Trojans will travel to Utah, Porter Gustin's home state, uh, next week for uh, what is another the, the second week in a row of a huge game for the Pac-12 South. 
I don't think there's any questions. But the good news is the Trojans go in there, and by virtue of beating Colorado, uh, are sitting atop the Pac-12 South. And so the path to the Pac-12 title game and the ultimate goal of winning a Pac-12 championship, um, it, it's still there right now. And so it, it'll be interesting to see how, how this plays out and what lessons, if any, will be learned from Colorado. But uh, you did take care of Colorado 30-21, to 21, and you will travel next week uh, as the team atop the, the Pac-12 South. So that's our report here for today. For Daryl Rideau, this is Gary Paskowitz. You're listening to the We Are SC Podcast.